0: Hi, everybody. Have you ever been doing good in your relationship with God and then messed up, and you did something you knew you shouldn't have done, and it's eating at you, but you don't know how to come back? And it seems like the longer you've stayed away, the harder it is to return, and you don't know how to fix it. And that's exactly what a man in the Bible called David did. And David was very close with God. The Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. And God had selected him to be the king of Israel. And his primary mandate was as a warrior to fight against the enemies of God's people. And these people groups had abhorrent morals. They sacrificed their children to idols, and they were determined to wipe the people of God off of the map forever. And it was David's job to personally lead the people into battle and to firmly establish them in the land which God gave them. That was why he was the king. But 2 Samuel 11 and 12 tells us the story of how David got complacent. And one year, when it was time to go out to battle, he sent his top general out with the army to fight while he stayed home in the luxury and safety of his palace and in the arms of his many wives and concubines. He was where he wasn't supposed to be, and he was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. And one evening, he was walking around on the roof of his palace, and he looked down and he saw a beautiful woman bathing. And instead of averting his eyes and removing himself from the situation, he asked who she was, and found out that she was the wife of one of the men in his elite band of warriors. And instead of saying to himself, oh, well, she's committed to someone else, that's the end of that, he sent for her, had her brought to him, and slept with her. And she later sent him word that she was pregnant. So now he had a problem. Her husband Uriah was off fighting, so it's obvious the baby wasn't his. So David hashed a plan, and he sent for Uriah to come and give him a report from the battlefront. And Uriah came, gave his report, and David told him to go home and enjoy time with his wife, and went so far as to even send a gift with him. Now, what he didn't count on was Uriah's sense of honor and loyalty and duty, which was in complete contrast to what David was doing. And... Uriah didn't think it was right to go home and enjoy time with his wife because his commanders and his men were out in the field fighting. And so he slept on the floor at the entrance to the king's palace. And the king found out that he didn't go home, so he tried again the next night, except this time he tried to make him drunk first. It still didn't work. So David decided to make a bad plan even worse. And he sent Uriah back to the front line with a sealed letter containing his own death warrant. And it told the top general to put Uriah on the front line and then pull back and abandon him to his death. And the general obeyed and hatched a strategy which saw Uriah and a number of other men unnecessarily killed. Now David got word and happy days. He thought that he had gotten away completely unscathed. And he waited a little bit and then sent for Uriah's wife Bathsheba and married her, and she gave birth to a son. But all along, God knew exactly what David was doing, and it displeased him. So God sent Nathan, a prophet, to David to confront him in his sin and tell him the dire consequences that he and his family would suffer for the rest of his life as a result. And David realized his sin and confessed before Nathan. And Nathan told him that he was forgiven, but that there would still be consequences, including the death of his son. Now David messed up really bad, but he was also a man who loved God and who spent a lot of times writing songs and poetry to God, songs which are contained in our Bible to this day, including Psalm 51, which is David's account of how he had to deal with his failure. And it's David's honest, vulnerable, visceral, jumbled up, heart-rending conversation with God about his sin. It's his heartfelt desire to reconnect with God as he struggles with his failure. And it's his affirmation of faith in God's forgiving nature. And he shares that process with us, and we can learn from it. And if you aren't a follower of Christ, this provides a model for you of how you can enter into a relationship with him. And if you are, but have fallen away, this provides a model of how you can come back. And if you're in a good place with God right now, this helps provide a framework for you of how you can help others who are struggling with what to do when they fail and need to reconnect with God. So let's take a look at what it says in Psalm 51. For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, my God, you will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar." Now, David starts off this psalm with confession. We see this in verses 1 through 5. David confesses before God that he has sinned, which is the word that the Bible uses to refer to something which is against God's will. And he uses the illustration of being dirty and needing to be clean. And he owns up to the fact that he knew all along that his behavior was wrong. He says that his sin is always before him. And this is an important example for us. We need to own up to our sin, knowing that God knows all about it anyway. And we need to be honest and say, yes, what I did was wrong. And in verse 4, David goes even further and tells God that his sin is not just against Uriah and Bathsheba, but ultimately his sin is against God. Now, why is that? It's because God is completely perfect, and there is no sin in him. And he created us to be in perfect sinless relationship with him. And when we sin, we are not only causing damage to that connection with God, but we make it impossible for him to be in relationship with us. He's absolutely perfect. And if he was with someone or something who isn't, he wouldn't be perfect anymore. And in verse 5, David says that he was sinful even from the time which he was conceived. And this is true for all of us. We call this original sin, And those of you who are parents, think about this for a moment. Did you have to teach your infant to be (laughs) self-centered? Did you have to teach them to grab or to hit or to defy you? No. It all comes naturally. Why? Because of the sin of the original humans, Adam and Eve. We're all born as sinful people. And as such, we're separated from God. And then we add to all of that all of the sins which we commit, and we are very separated from God Indeed. And it's only when we realize our desperately sinful state that anything can be done. It's a bit like the process of an alcoholic coming out of their addiction. The first step is to recognize and admit that they're addicted, and only then can they move forward. Confession perhaps sounds intimidating, but it's something which is a helpful pathway for us to be in on a regular basis. I'm not talking about formal Catholic confession here, but having Honest conversations with God and trusted believers in places like your discipleship triplets, where we can admit our failings in an unsafe environment. Is this part of your life? I would encourage all of us to incorporate confession as a healthy part of our lives. So David confesses that he's a sinner and that he has sinned against God, and it's a great first step, both for him and for us. But he doesn't just stay there in confession, wallowing in his failure and grief. He wants to move forward in his relationship with God, and so he asks for forgiveness. And we see this in verses 7 through 10. So why does David ask God to cleanse me with hyssop? What is hyssop, anyway? Hyssop is a herb which grows in the Middle East. And when the Jewish people were enslaved in Egypt, and God raised up Moses to deliver them, Pharaoh, who was the Egyptian king, Refused to let them go and he just brutally subjugated them and God, God brought a series of progressively more serious plagues on them to convince the king to let them go and as the king got progressively more obstinate Finally God declared that the final plague would be that he would send an angel to kill the firstborn child of every Egyptian family But the Jews lived in the midst of the Egyptians And in order to protect the Jews and establish a ceremony for them to remember what he did, God told each Jewish family to kill a lamb. Dip a bunch of hyssop in the blood and paint the blood around the doorposts of their homes. And the angel would see the blood of an innocent animal which had died in sacrifice and would not kill anyone in the home. Hyssop was the symbol of the blood sacrifice which brought protection. It was also used in other purification ceremonies and was known for its cleansing effect. And David was probably thinking symbolically of this cleansing effect. But here's the really cool part. David wrote this psalm, but he did so under the inspiration of God who guided what was written. And what David didn't know is that many years later, one of his descendants, Jesus, would be the perfect, innocent one who died in sacrifice to purchase the protection from death Of all who were under the protection of his blood. And as he hung on the cross, he was given a sponge soaked with vinegar, lifted up to him on a stalk of hyssop. And if we want forgiveness, it only comes through what Jesus did on the cross and allowing his innocent blood to be shed to cover our sins and bring us protection. There is no other way. So, is true complete forgiveness and cleansing possible? Yes. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And if we truly come to God in confession and ask him to forgive us, he will do it, wipe our record completely clean, and give us a pure heart. It's an amazing gift. And as David continues in this psalm, he Goes into a section on restoration and redemption. We see this in verses eleven through thirteen, and then eighteen and nineteen. And David specifically asked God to not remove the Holy Spirit from him. And in the New Testament, after the events of Jesus' death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit was given to all believers on the day of Pentecost after Jesus returned to heaven. And we have the Spirit as our counselor and guide, and the one who brings spiritual fruit in our lives, as well as giving gifts for ministry, and building up his church. The Spirit is given to followers of Christ as a permanent seal of our entrance into God's family, and to help guide and equip us during our time on earth. However, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was only given to certain individuals for certain tasks, and God had actually removed the Spirit from David's predecessor Saul because of his sin, with dire consequences. And David knew that even though he was now forgiven, that it didn't necessarily mean that all of the consequences of his sin would go away. And he asked God to allow him to continue to enjoy God's presence so that he could continue to serve God. And as part of that, he asked God to give him back his joy and his willingness to serve and minister to others. When we mess up and turn away from God, things can get miserable pretty quickly. And God created us to be in unbroken fellowship with him. And when we aren't, there's an, an unrest, a lack of joy, and we get increasingly disinterested in serving others. And David actually talks about teaching transgressors God's ways so that people will turn back to God. He's asking God to allow him to use his failures to serve as an example of what not to do so that people will be drawn to God. It sounds a lot like 2 Corinthians 1.4, which tells us that God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. No matter if our troubles are caused by our own sin, by the sin of others, or just the effects of living in a broken, sinful world, God can redeem those things and use our experiences to bring blessings to others. Because of what you've been through, for whatever reason, you are uniquely qualified to minister to people that I'm not, and vice versa. God wants to use your hardships, your experiences, even your failures, and to flip those experiences around and bring good out of them, not just for you, but also for others. When we lived in Brazil, we were members of the gym where João Derely trained. He's a strong Christian and the only male Brazilian to be a two-time world champion in judo. And one of the things that made him such a dominant judoka was his ability to use his opponent's strength against him, and with a single skillful move he could take all of the ferocity and momentum and weight of an attack and use it to flip his opponent on his back and completely immobilize him in an instant. And that is what God wants to do in our lives. He can restore our joy, and all the momentum of our failures and hardships can be flipped around by the master's judoka and used for good. And David wraps up his psalm with worship, and we see this in verses 14 and 15. And after all of his heartfelt prayers of confession and plea for forgiveness and pledge to serve others, all of this culminates in David breaking out into worship and praise. And David states that he will worship God because of who God is and sing of the characteristics and attributes of God. And David also pledges to worship not just with his mouth, but also with his changed life. Likewise, Jesus doesn't want us to continue in patterns that are destructive to ourselves, to others, or to our relationship with him. He also doesn't want us to wallow in guilt. He wants us to come into the light, confess our sins, receive His forgiveness and His righteousness, and to live our lives in word and in deed as continual expressions of worship which honor Him and reflect who He is to a watching world. David messed up really badly, but his story wasn't over. Yes, there were still consequences of his failure which he had to deal with, but God wasn't done with him. David was still greatly used by God. To this day, we are worshiping using his words and learning from his example just as he asked of God in this very psalm. He was the one who collected the materials to build much of the temple constructed by his son, which was where God's earthly presence resided for hundreds of years. Jesus was one of David's earthly descendants. So David not only set the stage for a physical place where people could meet with God, but through Mary was the human ancestor of Jesus, who was God who came not just to meet with us, but to live with and in us. And when David came into the light and got right with God, he was repositioned to continue to be used for God's glory. And the same can be true of us. Now, at the risk of being seen as completely odd, for continually talking about small ornamental trees, I want to revisit the illustration I used in my preach about the fruit of the Spirit a few weeks ago. And I told you about the small ornamental citrus tree with nine fruits, which God used to speak to me about the fruit of the Spirit during lockdown. What I didn't tell you was the rest of the story. We went on holiday for two weeks and left that tree in our sealed-up conservatory during a heat wave. And apparently, it was like an oven in there, and the tree got absolutely baked. And most of the new fruit forming dried up and fell off. The leaves died and fell, as did many of the branches. And this tree went from being a symbol of hope and life and fruitfulness for me to being a scraggly, dried-up twig that looked like it was completely done for. And we got back, got the tree out of the heat, and spent the next several weeks giving it water and fertilizer and pruning off the dead bits. And to be quite honest, it wasn't looking good. But gradually, it began to bounce back, and new leaves began to grow, and faster than we could have hoped, it began to flesh out. New fruit began to bud, and those that had survived the hard time got bigger and bigger. It's not quite the same, but the tree is not only going to make it, but it's beginning to thrive again, and before long you'll never be able to tell what happened. And no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, the same can be true of you. David's story tells us that no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've run from God, there's always a way back. God wants us to own up to what we've done to ask for and receive his forgiveness, to channel that into service to others, and to live lives of worship and gratitude for what he has done. And if you've never done this and you want this to be your experience, please come and speak to us. And if you're a follower of Christ already but have fallen away, take this opportunity to reflect and come back to him.